Welcome. I'm Warren Odess Gillette, and this is A Baha'i Perspective. Welcome to A Baha'i Perspective. I recorded an interview with Jody Cooper on March 28, 2021. Growing up in the 80s as an English boy in a rural Scottish town, Jody always stood out without even trying. He says that people would look at him strangely because he spoke funny. So he learned to embrace that and combine it with his love of performing in order to feel accepted. His introduction to music started with violin lessons and later teaching himself piano, bass, and guitar. At the age of 14, after a suggestion from a friend, he tried his hand at songwriting. He found it very therapeutic. At 16, he awoke one morning with a voice in his head telling him he would be a musician. From then on, music became the only thing that mattered. After many years performing solo and in bands as a self-employed musician, Jody's self-determination enabled him to fulfill two long-held dreams, the release of his own first album, Ten a Penny, a self-financed and self-produced project five years in the making, and studying music full-time in the hometown of his childhood idols, the Beatles. It was during his time in Liverpool that he became part of Sense of Sound, an a cappella group whose collaborations include Seal, Damon Auburn, John Bon Jovi, and Imogene Heap. Several releases and European tours followed. After years playing for British audiences, he left the UK to start a new life in Germany. Jody currently juggles his time between parenthood, writing and recording from his home studio, and, quote, preparing his band for world domination one gig at a time, unquote. We feature Jody's songs in the interview. I started the interview by asking Jody where he grew up and what was religious life like growing up. I was born in Chester, which is a city in England, and grew up in a very rural part of an area of Scotland called Aberdeenshire. And where I was growing up, there wasn't really a lot of life, um, can we say? Well, actually, there was probably a lot of life if you count the cattle. <laughs> <laughs> but we lived very rurally, and there was lots of rolling fields and cows. Apart from the odd town or village, it was, yeah, quite isolating. I mean, as a child, it's, it's great for the imagination, but, you know, when you wanted to see your friends at the weekend or whenever or at the end of the school day, then it wasn't really possible. Yeah, at that point in my life, it had its positive sides and its negative sides living so remotely. As for religious life, well, my mother discovered the faith when I was very young. I think she went to one of these things they call a fireside. And she got interested in the faith and pretty much brought myself and my five brothers up as Baha'is. But because she discovered the faith for herself and she didn't have a lot of knowledge about it, she had to kind of make the best of what she could, what she knew. So I guess growing up as a Baha'i was a bit of an unknown. I mean, we, we didn't know really what being a Baha'i meant. My mother didn't know. Also, 
where we lived, because it was so remote, there wasn't that many Baha'is. I think there was maybe one or two families. Uh, my Baha'i identity as a child was kind of a bit sporadic, I suppose, and a bit... It definitely wasn't a strong identity. Having that kind of background when you've moved to an unknown place in Scotland and you speak this funny English accent, you just want to kind of fit in as a child. I didn't really know what being a Baha'i meant. And so when kids my age would ask me, so what, what is this strange Baha'i, what? <laughs> I didn't really know what to tell them. So, you know, one of the tenets of the Baha'i faith is the independent investigation of truth. And I'm wondering, is there a point in your life when you felt that the Baha'i faith was more than just the religion of your mother and you had just sort of inherited it to you actually owning it as a way of life for yourself? I guess for me that point would have happened when I was about 18 or 19 years old. Up until that point, I wouldn't say I identified myself between the ages of 15 and 18 primarily as a Baha'i. At the age of 15 is this sort of age in the Baha'i faith, this important age, this sort of age of maturity, where Baha'i youth are encouraged to explore reality for themselves. And I certainly did that. And it took me a few years to sort of realize that I was still a Baha'i, if you know what I mean. So, you know, I, I kind of got to know what life outside this sort of special Baha'i bubble meant. And after a few years of exploring that, I realized that actually whatever I might think I am, I'm still a Baha'i in my soul and in my heart. So there was a, a point, as I said, when I was about 18 or 19, where I had a really bad experience with alcohol. I woke up the next morning feeling really terrible and never, never really drank that much anyway. And it kind of spiraled from there. So I got really ill. I had a sort of two or three week bout of flu, which really, really affected my asthma as well. And during that time, I had a lot of time to sort of soul search. And it was at that point where I realized, hey, hang on a sec. This is this funny thing called the Baha'i faith, and you know, whatever you say, you know you're actually Baha'i, don't you, Jody? <laughs> After that point, it was kind of like a reawakening. Some Christians talk about being born again, and I suppose it was a bit like that for me, because up until that point in my life, like you say, I had grown up in the Baha'i faith, but I didn't really feel like I had a strong sense of what being a Baha'i actually meant. And so from that point onwards, I then started actually reading for myself, investigating it for myself. And that was really when, I guess, the Baha'i identity for me kind of started to come out. And Jody, when did music become an important part of your life? Well, music's always been a very important part of my life. My mum says that when I was very little, I used to sing around the house to anyone and who'd come visiting. <laughs> <laughs> I always dabbled in music, but never really seriously. I learned my first instrument when I was about six, which was violin. I was terrible at that. I'd started dabbling in music, like songwriting, from about the age of 14. A friend of mine encouraged me to sort of try my hand at it, and I'd never thought of songwriting as such. When I was about 14, my parents bought me a caravan, because, as I said earlier, I had five younger brothers, 
and there wasn't a lot of space in the house. So they bought me this caravan so that I could have my own privacy, my own space as a teenager. And looking back on that time, I really valued it. There was one morning where I woke up suddenly in this caravan with this voice in my head. I don't know if this voice was from a dream I'd been having just shortly before or if it was a divine intervention. But anyway, this voice said to me, you are a musician. And up until that point, I'd never taken music that seriously. It was a fun hobby and all that, but I didn't really know what I wanted to do with my life. But from that moment on, it gave me a very, very clear focus. Okay, Jody, this is what your life is going to be like from now on. <laughs> and so it totally changed my life around, gave me this, this path to tread and never looked back. Can you see how your music changed over the years from when you started first writing your own music to really accepting the Baha'i faith as a way of life? I would say it did, but it happened at a much later date than when I found the faith again. I spent most of my 20s kind of drifting in and out of the faith. Again, I was still living in this sort of fairly rural area, but I'd moved to a town in the area where there was only one other Baha'i family. And they were also what I would call first-generation Baha'is. So they'd found the faith and they didn't really know that much about it and, and what being a Baha'i meant. So I had no real role models to show me how to live my life. And so, yeah, I spent most of my 20s sort of drifting. I would say it was must have been after my first marriage broke down that I reinvestigated the faith again and came back to it. It was at that point where I then felt I needed something spiritual. I then started going to summer schools again, and I hadn't been to Baha'i summer schools in a long time. And just sort of reconnecting with Baha'is. And of course, when you suddenly step back into the life of the faith outside your own little bubble, after so long, you realize that a lot of time has passed and you're not a so young anymore I think that was the the first thing I noticed when I went to one of these summer schools was that suddenly I was at the strange age of 30 where I was no longer quite a youth and all the kids that were now coming along were much younger than me I didn't quite feel like an adult and there was no one really my age there and so I kind of had to sort of find my Baha'i identity mostly by myself that sort of an inner self discovery. I would say it was from about then on where I really started to sort of properly understand what being a Baha'i meant and all that comes with that. So I had you select six pieces to feature on this interview. Mm -hmm. And the first one is entitled Free Thyself. So before mm -hmm. we play the selection, can you tell us what inspired you to write this song and what we should listen to when we play it? This connects to the last thing I was talking about. So I was about 30 years old, I think, and I was starting to re-evaluate uh, my Baha'i identity and then put my toe back into the Baha'i waters, so to speak. I went to various things, including summer schools and so on. And there was some um, Baha'i-inspired day of workshops in Glasgow in Scotland. And one of the workshops that were being run was how to put 
the Baha'i writings to music. And up until that point, I hadn't had that much experience with trying that. The one attempt I, or two attempts that I had tried had gone nowhere. So anyway, I went to this workshop, not kind of expecting much. The person running it, one of the activities that they got us to do to try and sort of kickstart the imagination was they said, okay, I'm going to give you 10 minutes. Here's a sheet of paper with some quotes. I think they were mostly or maybe all from Howler's Hidden Words. See what you can come up with. <laughs> I was like, okay, no pressure. <laughs> so I went away into a separate room with my guitar, sat down, looked at the sheet of paper, and just to tried to see if anything on this paper spoke to me. And the one thing that did speak to me was free thyself. There's this quote from Baha'u'llah's Hidden Words. The one thing I really like about this Hidden Words book is that it's just short passages. So as a songwriter, that's a perfect springboard to start with. You know, you don't have to worry about a big quote or a big long text where you have to kind of figure out, okay, do I do something from the start? Do I do the whole thing? Do I do something in the middle? You can just take little bits of these little quotes and or you can use the whole thing so yeah i just kind of took this quote and run with it and it came very very quickly to the 10 minutes i had something to play to them and, and that was this free thyself the version we're going to play now is it pretty much the same one that you came up with originally the basic version was just with guitar and voice and then later on i thought of having a sort of a cappella introduction, what you might call the verse and the middle eight section, they were both there in the beginning. I guess I just lengthened the whole song as I kind of worked on it. All right, so this piece written by Jody Cooper is from the work of Baha'u'llah, the prophet founder of the Baha'i faith. It's called The Hidden Words, and as Jody said, it is a book of short passages really encapsulating the spirit of the Baha'i faith. And this piece is from one of those what we call hidden words, and it's called Free Thyself. Oh, oh my, oh my servant, From the fetters of this world And lose thy soul From the prison of self Seize thy chance For it will come to thee no Whoa. 
Jody, the next piece that we're going to feature is called One. Tell us what inspired you to write this song and what should we be listening for? So with One, I was sitting down with my guitar and just strumming away, noodling away, and this melody came into my head. There's this and I just ran with that. But it wasn't until I sat down at a piano where I realized, okay, this is actually a piano song, not a guitar song. And the song came from there. And as I was writing it, I didn't really have an idea of where I was going in terms of lyrics. I was just throwing out words and what sounded good. But it didn't take long to realize as I was writing that there was a very clear pattern in the words that I was using. And so I started to self-analyze, I suppose, which is not something I do a lot of when I'm writing songs. I just try and let things out and then analyze it later. But in this case, I was actually doing it as I was going along. I noticed that in a lot of the sentences in the lyrics, there was specific mentions of various elements, fire, wind, water, and air, and so on. And once I realized that, I thought, I've got to do something with this and try and incorporate more of this into the lyrics. And as I was writing it, especially when I got to the chorus, that really sort of cemented the meaning for me for the song. It has this line where it says, the refrain of or chorus of the song, where it says, there's only one. And as soon as I came up with that line, I knew what the song was about. Uh, it was about the unity of humanity. Although we have these elements or the natural world, these dangers that are around us every day, we have the potential as humans to come together if we choose to. And if we don't choose to, then <laughs> these elements can swallow us up whole or they can wipe us out. It's a both a positive song, but it also has this undertone to it. This is why the introduction to the song starts with the waves rolling in. If you can imagine a tsunami or something, a storm or something like that, that was what I was thinking of, this sort of duality in the song, is that you've got, on the one hand, this potential for mankind to unite. Unity of mankind is one of the founding principles of the Baha'i faith. So you've got on the one hand, you've got this potentiality of the unity of mankind. And on the other, you've got this natural disaster that is preparing to wipe us out if we don't come together. <laughs> but overall, the message of the song is a positive one. So this is one.
stepped forth in his cool embrace and broke up in a myriad way.
I'm speaking with Jody Cooper, who's a musician and singer-songwriter, and we've been listening to his pieces. The next piece, Jody, that we're going to feature is Tears of Crimson. So what mm-hmm. inspired you to write this one, and what should we listen for? Well, I had the basic melody and chords for this song for several months. It was kind of going round and round in my head, and I wasn't really getting anywhere with it. I tried several times to write some lyrics, but they all sounded a bit twee. So anyway, I was taking part in a Baha'i study circle where a group of us would come together and we would study an aspect of the Baha'i faith, whether it be Baha'i holy texts or the history of the faith and so on. This particular book that we were studying was all about the lives of the founding prophets of the Baha'i faith, so Baha'u'llah and the Bab. And this particular day of the study circle, we were reading about the martyrdom of the prophet, the Bab. I'd heard this story many, many times as a child and always found it a really fascinating, magical story. I actually have problems talking about this song when I do it live because it's such a long story and it's very hard to condense. But anyway, this basic part of the story is that the Bab was martyred in front of 750 soldiers, a regiment of 750 soldiers. Each part of the regiment fired consecutively. Just this part of the story, you can imagine, there were clouds of smoke everywhere. And the Bab, he had his secretary with him in the prison, where he was being held before they executed him. And he had one other person who had the honor of being martyred with him, a young man called Anise. At the moment they martyred the Bab, when the smoke had cleared, all the soldiers had fired their shots, the Bab was nowhere to be seen. Anise was standing next to the pole where all the bullets had shot through the ropes that were tying them, unhurt. There was pandemonium, and they searched all around the city. Where on earth has he gone? And turns out he was back in his cell, talking to his secretary, just as he had been before they came to pick him up to be executed the first time. And the first time he'd said, not until I've said everything I have to say can any earthly power stop me or remove me. So when they finally found him back in the prison cell, obviously they were very, very disturbed. The captain of the regiment resigned his commission. They had to get a new captain in with a new regiment of soldiers to carry out the deed for the second time. The second time they fired, the 750 soldiers fired. The Barb and his companion, Anise, were executed. They say that there was very little left of the bodies. They were sort of mangled together. But what they did notice, there was an artist who did a, a picture, I believe, at the time, was that the faces were pretty much untouched. Since I was a child, I've been fascinated with this magical story. When we came to this story in the book, it just fired my imagination, and I thought again about this melody and these chords that I had, and suddenly it all sort of fell into place. Whereas before, when I'd been trying to do something with this idea, nothing had happened. Suddenly, it just all fell in, into place. The song wrote itself very, very quickly. And I just want to encourage listeners even if they just Google Martyrdom of the Bob, you spell Bob, B-A-B, Bob, you'll be able to read the amazing, miraculous story of the Bob's martyrdom. And so this is Jody's piece about that called Tears of Crimson. (laughs) 
So we're listening to the music of Jody Cooper, and we had just finished hearing the song Tears of Crimson. The next piece, Jody, that we're going to feature is called Silence. So tell us what inspired you to write this song, and what should we be listening for? Well, this song started off as just this piano introduction, I suppose, and I didn't really know what I was going to do with this idea. 
And then I remember hearing about a group of Baha'is in Iran. Baha'i faith is originally from Iran. These group of Baha'is were called the Yaran, or Friends of the Faith. In Iran, they don't have the Baha'i organizations and groups like we have in other parts of the world where the Baha'is have some sort of structure. In Iran, they're not allowed to have these. So anyway, this group, the Iran, was sort of an ad hoc group who helped to organize some of the Baha'i activities in Iran. And they were arrested, I think there were seven of them, and put into prison, originally on a 25-year sentence, which after 10 years, they were all set free. During this period when they were in prison, I, like Baha'is around the world, were very saddened that this had happened. And I guess I wanted to put into words and into music how I was feeling about this, but more specifically how maybe these Iran were feeling. I tried to write this song from the perspective of one of the Iran. So the lyrics talk about the surroundings, one room, uh, nowhere to run also about the interrogations and so on. So if you listen out for that, um, hopefully you'll get an idea of the kind of situation this particular group of Baha'is were in. The prison cells were very, very small. They were often in solitary confinement. And so it must have been very, very difficult. I, as a person living in the Western world who, as a Baha'i, have never faced this kind of persecution, never faced these kind of restrictions, I kind of wondered, <laughs> how can I write about something that I know nothing about? But I guess as a songwriter, one of the things that we often do is try and put ourselves in other people's shoes. So that's what I tried to do with this song, was to try and look at their perspective of this Iran, try and see it from one of those Iran, what it must have been like for them at that time, this long prison sentence. So this is called Silence. Dark space under the ground I'm hoping these four walls come tumbling down One room, nowhere to run Praying for something more But all that I hear is the silence the silence Somewhere out in the light they say I did them wrong Well I know I'm right Why won't you give me a chance Oh but the only sound that reaches my ears is just silence Just silence 
So we're listening to the music of Jody Cooper, and we had just heard the song Silence, and it was, uh, as Jody had explained earlier, it was a song about the Yaran, spelled Y-A-R-A-N, and as Jody explained, was an ad hoc association to govern the national affairs of the Baha'is of Iran. And I wanted just to say a couple of things about the persecution of the Baha'i faith in Iran. The Yaran, the Y-A-R-A-N group that was at that time in the early 2000s governing the affairs of the Baha'i community, when the Islamic Revolution completed and the Ayatollah Khomeini was in power, the persecutions of the Baha'is increased many-fold. As Jody had intimated, the Baha'i faith had been persecuted for many decades for its previous hundred years of existence in Iran because it was considered a heretical religion. So when the Islamic regime came into power, the first thing they did was disband what was called the National Spiritual Assembly of the Baha'is of Iran, which was the governing council of the Baha'is. Each nation of the Baha'is have a National Spiritual Assembly in most cases, not all. And in this case, it was disbanded, and these members of the National Spiritual Assembly were never heard of again. So it was assumed that they had been killed. And then immediately, a second National Assembly came into being. And again, this National Spiritual Assembly was disbanded, and again, the members of, the, of that assembly were never heard of again. So it took great courage for these seven Baha'is, these Iranian Baha'is, to create this ad hoc governing council, knowing what had happened to their predecessors. And indeed, as would have been expected, they were arrested. Fortunately, they weren't killed, but they had to suffer imprisonment, as Jody had described, for 10 years. So it was really a sad state of affairs. Mm. I was wondering if I might add something to the story of the song. Please. Sometime after I'd written this song, on the internet they posted some poetry by one of the Uran, and they translated it into various languages, including English. And one of the poems spoke to me because the... I can't remember if it was the title or somewhere in the text, but it, it mentioned the word silence. And that really struck me because although I knew nothing about their plight really other than they'd been imprisoned, here I was faced with something from one of those Yiran, and the words they were using were the same words that I'd been using to describe their situation. So wow. it was almost like the spirits talking across the void or whatever. It was quite eerie. And the other thing that happened to me, the Yiran were released in, was it 2018, I think? Something like that, yeah. Yeah. And some of them were traveling around giving talks to people about their experiences. And I randomly got to meet one because I happened to be in Frankfurt on this particular day where they were giving a talk. Um, I was doing something for the Baha'i blog. They do a lot of music presentations on YouTube and talks and interviews about various aspects of the faith. And so I was there in Frankfurt anyway, and the person who was hosting me, who, who let me stay at his house, he said, well, did you know that one of the Iran is, is giving a talk to now? I was like, really? 
And so anyway, I, I went along, <laughs> kind of blue-eyed and, and not really knowing what to expect. So I got to meet one of these Iran, and I, I told them that I'd written a song for them. And It's interesting that the members of the Yaran who were released had an opportunity to actually leave Iran and express their experience. I would have thought the regime would have been very reticent to that kind of freedom. Yes, so would I. I. I don't know the ins and outs of how they got out. I'm sure that would make a great story. In Germany, anyway, I think they had some family, perhaps, because there's quite a lot of Iranians living in Germany. Many of them, they fleed Iran during the whole revolution, the Islamic revolution, in the, I think, late 70s it was. So many of them were have been living in, in Germany as well. So, yeah, I think there was some family connection, perhaps. He actually fled Iran, you think? I don't know for sure. So, Jody, the next piece we're going to feature is called For With Fire We Test the Gold. So why don't you tell us what inspired you to write this song and what should we be listening for? Okay, well, I had this Free Thyself song, as it were. I'd always wanted to write more Baha'i music. But up until that point, I just had the one and I wasn't really sure where I was going to get inspiration from after that. So anyway, I was attending this Baha'i inspired arts academy, which they used to run in England for 20, 25 years or so, very successfully. I say Baha'i inspired because you didn't have to be a Baha'i to attend it. And they had many different workshops over the course of a week and it was held it was like a retreat, I suppose, an arts retreat. So it was set in the grounds of some really nice old building um, with like woods and, and lakes and stuff around it. So it was very tranquil. I'd been there the year before where I'd learned all about how to lead a choir. And this particular year, I decided I would do the one where it was specifically about how to put the sacred Baha'i writings to music. I thought, okay, now's my chance to get that second song. The people who were running the workshops, I kind of knew them a little bit. They were quite well-known musician family called the Smiths. They have quite a lot of children who all play musical instruments. Lovely family, and both husband and wife are running these workshops. They left us free to go off and just see what would happen. They gave us a few tips on how we could get into the creative process with the creative word of God. And then after some days of trying to inspire us with different methods, they then left us to ourselves in the afternoons to see what we could come up with. For With Fire We Test the Gold was one of those ideas of many that I came up with during that week. It started with just the, the piano melody, which you hear over and over in the song. There's this particular quote that I use from, it's also from the Baha'u'llah's book, The Hidden Words. And this particular quote is something that I heard a lot as I was growing up. I never really understood it, but whenever I was having problems as a child, my mother would come to me and I can't remember if she would often say this quote or for some reason when I read it, it gave me peace. When it came to trying to come up with ideas behind songs, this one seemed like a, a natural one to me and, and one that I was really drawn to. And I really like this quote, this one phrase that really 
captures my imagination. Or yeah, me too. Really, I think it's just <laughs> a wonderful, wonderful metaphor. Baha'u'llah says, with the fire, we test the gold. And with the gold, we test our servants. So this is called, with fire, we test the gold. with this world for with fire we test the gold and with gold we test our servants Oh son of Busy not thyself with this world For with fire we test the gold And with gold we test our servants Oh, son of being Busy not thyself with this world For with fire we test the gold And with gold we test our servants
So we're speaking with Jody Cooper, and we're listening to his music, his songwriting, and we had just finished playing for With Fire We Test the Gold, which is a writing of Baha'u'llah put to music by Jody. So Jody, where can people find your music? If people would like to look me up on the internet, they'll find lots of references to Jody Cooper. But the main website is www.jodycoopermusic.com. And there you'll find all my albums are listed. Some of my videos are up there. You'll find a little bit more about me and lots of photos and so on. I also have quite a strong social media presence. So you can also find me at Facebook and YouTube under the name Jody Cooper Music. So it's all the same name. As well as doing original music, I also enjoy a lot doing my own versions of covers and I put them up on YouTube. So feel free to check them out. Well, Jody, I want to thank you so much for sharing your story and sharing your music with us. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. I hope you enjoyed that interview with singer-songwriter Jody Cooper. You can find his music at jodycoopermusic.com. I'll finish the hour with one more piece by Jody called Whither Can a Lover Go? You can find this interview and other interviews on the website of bahaiperspective.com and on the YouTube channel of Baha'i Perspective, as well as on Spotify and iTunes. For information specifically on the Baha'i Faith, you can go to the website baha'i.org or you can call the number 1-800-22-UNITE. I hope you join me next time on A Baha'i Perspective. Whither can love go? Whither can love go but to lie? Of his beloved, what seek to find rest away? What seek to find rest away from his heart? His heart's desire to the true, true lover. To the true, true lover, separation is death.